0: We are in our final Sunday night. There's a lot of new faces, old faces. Like this is, I was telling dude, this is like what it's like going to your own funeral. You know, like you see all the people come back and there's way more music and musicians than you remember and normally it's like totally awesome. Thank you. Let's conclude our final series. I first want to tell you that I am so glad that we did a final series. I'm so glad that we didn't just wrap up with the last series that we did and say, okay, that's it, we're done, and we go, that we've actually taken these last four and five weeks to slowly and carefully and deliberately consider all that God has done, and to even leave behind all the markers that we've been leaving over the last three weeks about exactly how to do a group like Exodus in case anybody wants to go down this path. I I really think that's been great. Uh, Tonight, the theme is, well, what is there left to say after all that we've done, even in this final series? And I hope to kind of just kind of wrap it up this way. You know, when we started Exodus, we had kind of a theme verse. And that theme verse was 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ... Maybe ashamed of their slander. We clung to two key parts. Always being able to give an answer for the reason of our hope. And that's a lot of what drove us in many of our series selections and many of the things that I wanted to bring up. But we also modeled how to do it with gentleness and respect. Even in this group. Even when we came to disagreements. Even when we struggled with issues. Even when we couldn't come to consensus. There was a place here for us to spend time together and even go out afterwards and learn how to be unified even when we disagreed about things that many times were not essential things. I think we did that. It's always been kind of in the goal. I look back and I think that was one of the first things that sparked our idea. There's also this verse that we've been looking at in several series. We started with a verse and we also started with a purpose. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul writes about spiritual warfare, and this is how he describes it. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are those strongholds? He tells us what they are. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our purpose, if there was one, there's many, but if I could pick one, was to find those arguments that stood in our way against the true knowledge of the Lord and to examine them and to deal with them and to wrestle with them. And if we could, to demolish them. And that was not always an exercise just in here. But it was an exercise that was going on as we wrestled through it, even during the week as I struggled and prayed and thought about the topics that were obstructing us from having a clear life in the Lord, the things that were keeping our hearts from beating as they could because of those obstructions, and those are the things I kept going. So we had that first verse, we had this purpose, and I would say we also had a goal. And the goal was to ground people deeper in Christ. Now that sounds like a worthy goal. A lot of places could say that, a lot of things can do that, Right? It was in how we tried to do it that this whole last series has been, trying to explain the method behind our madness in seeing this through. And it reminds me of a parable that we all know and have talked about and have read a number of times in this room, and that's the parable of the sower, also known as the parable of the seeds and the parable of the soils. It has a lot of names. Because it focuses on the four different types of soil, And what I want to tell you tonight, as we had that goal of going deeper, that going deeper was not just a cool kind of tag line. It wasn't just a good and worthy thing to do. It was actually the thing that always concerned me the most, that if we weren't deep, that we would easily wither away. That warning wasn't given by me. Sure, lots of research says that, but that warning was given by Jesus. That was the point of the parable. Go deep. Go deep. If you don't put the roots down deep, you just won't be around. This whole ministry was started because of just the aching in my own heart of seeing how many people started but just weren't around ten years later. Let's look at Jesus' words in the parable of the different soils. When he explains it to his disciples, he says this. Listen then what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that sowed along the path. So we saw that some of the seed in the parable falls on the road. And he says, what does that represent? He explains it. No need for us to debate it. He says it plainly. It's the person who doesn't understand it. At the heart of a lot of the series we tried to do, I wanted to make sure we understood what it was. We got to the heart of it so that if there was a misunderstanding in some way that was preventing us that we would at least do away with that. I mean, if you're going to struggle, fine, but struggle over things that we understand. Let's not have misunderstandings. Let's not have things that would unduly take us away because we just haven't examined them closely enough. That was the first soil. It was constantly there. Like, we need to understand this. We need to see it correctly. Then he talked about the seed that fell on the rocky ground. He said, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of this word, they quickly fall away. You've heard me say over and over that the reason that it troubles me that there's so many shallow formulations of our faith. There's so many bumper sticker ways to do it. There's so many groups that are so large and so drawing into people, but they have such a brittle understanding. What worries me is this. They had no root. And as soon as the trouble comes, and I've said, Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. I have overcome, but they don't stick around that long for the overcoming. As soon as the trouble comes to the very word they've received, they face persecution, difficulty in life. They wither away. They're gone. I've seen that in the breadth of this ministry as we've done it. He said that some seed fell among the thorns. It says this, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. They received it. They might have even understood it, but it was the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And that's why we spent so many series going after those things. What is it that troubles us? What is it that attracts us? How do we deal with materialism? How do we steward better? How do we spend our time in those places? Because I saw that even for those of us who are mature, who were not going to be thrown away because of the troubles that come in persecution or the troubles that come as a result of being a believer, I saw that some of us who could be very well deeply rooted just wouldn't be fruitful because we were living in a way that wasn't stewarding and honoring of what God had put before us. You've probably heard the word stewardship come out of my mouth more times than probably anything. Because I didn't want us to say we got everything there, but we were distracted. We were made unfruitful. We were choked out. So what's the one he commends? The seed falling in the good soil. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. That's why we spent so much time trying to break it down. To make sure we understood it, and that we got it, and that we gave room in here to wrestle and struggle, and to hear from all of you and the Spirit through you, so that we could get to a place where we could say, I understand it. Sure, there are still things that will be difficult to deal with and difficult to understand, But that is what we were trying to achieve all the way. We started with a verse, and then we started with a purpose to actually in some way demolish arguments that stood against the knowledge of God. And the goal was to see people produce fruit as a result. As we contemplate what's happening, as we wind this down, you're going to hear me say that now you're being sent out to be that fruit and to produce fruit elsewhere. That's the theme of the retreats. I'll leave some of that for there, but that is the, the fruitfulness that I'm hoping that we find. So along the way, after we started with those goals, what we ended up doing was discovering a method to go deeper together. That method helped us to identify our own struggles. It made us think more deeply about our faith. It sought to demolish those arguments that stood against the knowledge of God It removed obstacles to vibrant faith so that the blood could flow to our hearts, all of you who were always trying to remind me so well to return to the heart after we had tried so hard to break up the issues that prevented blood from flowing there. It was ultimately a heart exercise. And I would say, very importantly, maybe most importantly... By allowing people to deliberate and to participate and to talk back, we gave a voice to the Holy Spirit live in this room in every single discussion. The Spirit was speaking audibly to us, and we could hear it through your words and through your deliberation. A couple weeks ago, I asked you, what did you learn along the way? I asked you to give cards. I want you to think like, just imagine that somebody came along this path called Exodus and You wanted to see what was down the path, and you guys had left a nice box of notes saying, this is what you'll find if you go down this path. I picked out a few of them. I got a lot of nice cards. Uh, I'm going to read a few just so you get some idea of what you said. One person said, be prepared for the wildest ride in the wilderness. You will be stretched. You will be angry. You will be dumbfounded, but you will be changed. Be open-minded and flexible. Speak your mind and be open to change. Another person said, there is freedom and comfort in sharing our lack of answers and our common struggles. I learned that it is okay not to arrive at concrete black and white answers to questions about my faith. I learned that the process of questioning and still retaining my faith with other curious believers was more valuable. One of you said, there are things about God that we will never know and questions that we can never find answers to, but there is great value in the wrestling Someone said, Exodus can be done with a less Christian, more seeker-friendly target audience. My discussions about Exodus with non-believers reveal that non-believers want this kind of interaction as well, and not on a dumbed-down seeker level. Another said, aspects of your faith will be challenged and refined, allowing your faith to be more authentic and genuine. No topic is off-limits. Here's our most poetic entry. Beloved, regardless of how you got here, I am overjoyed that you're here looking down a path that may be difficult, but you have been drawn to it nonetheless. If you doubt, if you have frustrations, if you're not feeling it, if you're hurt or angry, I get that, because I was there when by providence I stumbled here myself. I'm being completely candid when I say that through this group, God reclaimed my heart, devotion and attention. It was not always easy, but throughout this process, I built a strange and wonderful family who showed me the way back to the truth of God in Christ. Fear not, beloved, and do not lose hope. The Lord is chasing after you ceaselessly, and it is my fervent prayer that he catches you now. That is what we found along the way. And so the theme tonight was supposed to be, is there anything left to say? You guys know that if you leave me an open mic, I'll just talk as long as there's room to record, right? Is there anything left to say? Sure. You know, whenever I wonder again, why are we doing this again? What's the reason that we did any of this in the past tense? Is there anybody else that cares to hear anything else we have to say? I always go back to the same place that I draw a lot of my inspiration from. It's that website where all the former Christians post their deconversion testimonies. It's where all the people talk about why they left the faith. And every single time that I'm ready to just say, ah, forget it, let's just have pizza and go home, I just go back there. So I did it again last night. I was troubled, I couldn't really sleep. All of this was weighing on my head where we're going, what's going to happen now that we close the door on this. And I just started poking around and listening, and here's what I found, just so you can hear the voice of the people to whom there is much left to say. These people were answering the question that somebody posed on the site, why did you stop believing? Here's some of the answers. I remember exactly when I knew I didn't believe anymore. I was trying to reconcile this reality with all the promises about God. The only way to do so is to realize that God doesn't exist. Another said, It was mainly realizing that Christian teachings in Christianity about faith healing the Big Bang and dinosaurs were not right. They slowly made me see a world that worked fine without God. You might hear, by the way, in these that we covered these. It's the reason we covered them, because these questions were unanswered. Another person wrote, I remember reading the verse in 1 Samuel 15.3. Now go smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. We actually dealt with the Amalekites dead on in our Old Testament series because I know that this question keeps coming up. Somebody said, I was carrying the resurrection as the core central point for me that I wasn't prepared to negotiate with for a long time. But it was reading gospel inconsistencies and the lack of real evidence for the resurrection that killed it for me. One person just wrote two words. They wrote unanswered prayer, which we dealt with in our prayer series. Last one I'll read to you. This person wrote, For 30 years all my adult life, I have subscribed to the teaching that the creation story in the book of Genesis literally occurred in six 24-hour days. To not believe, they said, is to deny the power of the Almighty. To not believe, they said, would render the entire book full of falsehoods. It didn't take long to find out about the millions of years of sediment in the Green River formation, or the millions of years it took for a coral reef to build up, or the millions of years required to form alternating magnetic fields in the volcanic ridges in the Atlantic Ocean. I could tell that I needed re-educating, and I needed it fast. There's a part of me when I read those that I think, we just need to keep going. But I know I can't do that. And I know that I'm not the savior, and I know that they're not listening even if we gave those answers, because we did. But now you know the heart of why I chose many of the series that we did, because these questions persist. For every single person that comes into the church, these questions persist. And we have to tell people how it is that we can be more deeply rooted so that we can remain and we can abide in Christ. So the answer to the question is, is there anything left to say? Of course there is. There is so much more to say. What we demonstrated was a method of talking to one another. To wrestle and to go deeper and to find roots and to remain and to be strong and to support one another all the way through. That's what we discovered together. And we could keep talking and talking and talking. But the lesson here tonight is if there's anything left to say from this point forward, you've got to say it. From this point forward, as we close out, we have talked, and you now get the chance to do the same. On Wednesday night, we had a whole discussion about how we had modeled hospitality for so long, hoping that you would now do the same. Some of you already do. And it's the same thing here. We have modeled a method and a way to live with this in the center of our ministry. And now it's time for all of you, myself included, to go from here and be the one that continues to talk about anything that's left to say. And I can tell you the first place to start is there are still these people asking these questions. And they will be asking them all the time. And the the real issue for us is will we respond? Will we take the time to enter into their lives and dialogue in the way that we did here to bring about? I mean, sure, there are people not going to let you do it. But there are people in your lives that will. And it may take another method. It may not be the Exodus method. It may not be an interactive forum. It may not be dialogue like this. It may be something as simple as neighborly love or a relationship that develops. Whatever it takes, though, what we have learned in here is that we can talk to break up misunderstandings, to help people understand the faith better. And God is the one who's going to do the ultimate work but that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility he's given us to be ministers of the gospel. And that does not end the minute we bring somebody into the kingdom and get them to say something to acknowledge. It's the discipleship. It's teaching them to understand and obey all that he's commanded. So yes, there's plenty left to say. I'm hoping that you will say it. One of the things that you will be able to do from this point forward is you and anybody hearing my voice, steward the podcasts that we've created. Those are for you to continue to resource yourself so that you can talk to others, but more importantly, you might find that the best thing to do is to recommend them to somebody who needs to go through that process. That's something that we all hold as a responsibility because we created these together. Chris, last week I think it was, challenged like, are we just going to leave them where they are or is there more that needs to be done? Yes, I thought about that question. There is more that needs to be done. And we'll be doing some of that work kind of behind the scenes, trying to keep the stuff going. But the place where it really resides is in your hands. Because you were here. You helped create them. The Spirit spoke through you and you wrestled. They're your questions. That's the reason everybody listens to them. Because they like the fact that people can interact and talk back and wrestle. That's what they learn from. That also means they belong to you. You steward them. You hold them for the Lord and his purposes, which means you need to put them into effect somehow, whether in your own life or by passing them on to somebody else. Because if you believe they're a valuable resource, they're the gift from the Lord that we need to steward. So I give you that charge to take them. Don't be shy about them. Uh, They really could have the power to unblock things that lead to a vibrant heart of faith again. So from this point forward, if there's anything left to say, you're saying it. I've got one more thing to say, and that is to say thank you. Of course, I can't do that in two words. I have a couple of things I'd like to actually thank people for in running this long. We've run for nine years, and I've got quite a few thank yous, so you have to sit through this. (laughs) I'm thankful for Derek Moen, who gave me the courage to step back into ministry so many years ago and helped me to rediscover teaching after having almost lost that gift entirely. I'm thankful for Dave Cial, who was the best man at my wedding and led me to love the church again and led me to the mission field where that's the reason he's the best man at my wedding, because I met my wife, uh, ended up leaving my job, and uh, was ready to restart Exodus when the time was right. Dennis Bachman played a big role in this. He was, at that time, the lead pastor at Newsong. He took a chance on an unknown commodity, which was me. Uh, doesn't look like a youth leader. Doesn't act like one. Um, he gave us a lot of freedom to travel this path. I mean, maybe he did all that because I wasn't paid. And it was like, ah, oh, what the heck, you know? <laughs> like, I can get more of those free guys. <laughs> but he also gave us a lot of freedom in one way, which is when the chance came up to go up to APU, he was the one that really pushed us to come here pushed us to say, no, leave and go to APU. Be sent out. You'll do more good there than if you stayed here within the walls of the church. I'm also thankful to my business partner, Cesar Rosignoli, who is the one that sat with me when I was telling him, I'm afraid to leave my firm downtown. I really feel the call to go into more ministry. I just don't know how to do it. And he basically said, you get up right now and you quit your job if you need to. I will back you if I have to because I know this is something you need to do. Uh, This is before he even was a believer, and now is a believer. And we spend almost every day at lunch talking about Exodus and what's going on in it. He's been a great encouragement. Some people early on, Angela Galanis, you guys remember? If you ever wonder why we start every series with why are we doing this series, it's Angela. She's the one that made us do that. She's the one that told us that you need to justify the time you spend She was also the one that really started challenging the discussion, which made it interesting, and that's where interaction started to come from. Angela was the one that prophetically said, you need to get up and just go to APU. Just one day at Legends just said, you know what you need to do? You just need to go to APU. God used Angela. I'm thankful to Ben Tyler, who also solidified the habit of asking questions and challenging things early on. I'm thankful to Cody, who's been a longtime friend and one of the first members of the core group and a team member of mine to Russia. Um, and a bandmate. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, you guys have no idea how much it influenced my life. Uh, that I was actually in a Christian band with Cody and Ryan on radio. Uh, it literally undid me as a lawyer. I fell apart after that. <laughs> what, bad the lawyer? I I'd be doing rehearsals till two or three in the morning, and then trying to be an attorney the next day. And I just knew this wasn't going to work. <laughs> I had to get out of that firm before they fired me. (laughs) Some of you might remember Eric and Holly Calderon, who decided as a commitment to stick with Exodus when we were restarting it, just to get it started. Um, Because they knew that we were going to do something difficult. We needed people who were just going to support it no matter what. I'm thankful to Dave Bishop, who's sitting in the back. I'm so glad that he came tonight. Who was a mentor to me, and he mentored others in the group, and he was the one person that I wish we had 12 of, that I told you if there was one thing I could do better in Exodus, it would have been to have more people who had gone through life and were ready to invest in young adults uh, who were more seasoned even than I was. And I wish we had had that, but we had Dave. There's people who shaped us for Philip because he set the bar so high in the questions that he asked and even the answers that we had to give. For Jeremy, for increasing in the intellectual rigor of the group for demonstrating charity and laughter even when we disagreed. Uh, There's more of Jeremy laughing probably than him saying anything that I would agree with on any of the (laughs) podcasts. And I've said it before and it's been said even last week that, you know what, no matter how we might have disagreed about things at times, there was so much uh, respect and charity and laughter that we could just go out and continue to be friends. And I think that's a model. Even for people who vehemently sometimes disagree. And I'm not talking about he and I. I'm just talking within the church. We just can't seem to do that. And he was committed to doing it. And I appreciate that. For Tiffany Joyner. For making us aware of social action and justice issues that demanded our attention all over the place. For Megan. Always pulling us back to the practicality of things. For pushing us to new events and new ideas. And for hosting us in our house for so many memorable Christmas parties. Uh, for Abby Fisher, who brought almost like a fifth of new members or maybe a quarter of them uh, in all of the years that we've had, together with Ray, who were both so committed from the time they first came, it was unbelievable that there were people who stuck it out this long and, and made this their home uh, when everybody else would say you would never be able to hang on to anybody in their college years as you went through this. They not only proved that wrong, but I can't imagine the group without them. They were here and made it who it was. They were the people that served us. Anyone who's ever brought snacks or taken time to set up or tear down, especially for Matt Galizzi, for Jolene, for Megan, for others who led hospitality efforts that we did. Uh, there's also a whole group of people that served on our core group, like Anthony, Morgan, Ryan Amaradio, Ben, Tiffany, Monique, Ryan DeLap, Heather, Joseph, Megan, Philip, Jill, Cormac, Carissa, Jolene, all the different people that over the years... Uh, served on the core group, including Cody, who already mentioned. There's the people who led us in worship. Most of them were up here today. <laughs> yeah. Especially to Ryan Amaradio, who came up and said, I'd like to begin the practice of leading worship in Exodus, because we don't have it and it belongs. Um, who, I think at the time, was all rock and roll and very little worship, and actually said, Do you think it's okay if I try this? And I was thinking, Of course it's okay. And led us for four years and today continues to lead worship professionally. For Ryan DeLapp, who took over four years ago, who's led the worship team for four years, and I'll talk about it a little bit more later. For everybody else who sang with us, for Soren, Dan, Morgan, Alyssa, Matt, Heather, Jess, Dong, Chris, Catherine, Jill, Ray, and going way back. You could even count Angela, Andrea, and Kevin Harkins if anybody remembers Kevin. There's been a lot of people who've put in time over the years to do that. Now here's some special thank yous that I think I've left to the end. For Ryan Delap, who led us in worship and arranging to get others to lead worship for four years, who took care of every aspect of worship without me having to worry about a single night and who actually paid particular attention to what we were learning so that we could express that in worship in the group. I don't think we could have done it without Ryan. Give him a hand. <laughs> for Monique, who is one of the original founding members of Exodus, who has been part of Exodus for 11 years, who is a constant voice in so many discussions, who has such a deep faith in God, such a sense of awe of His Majesty, and who's been a very close friend of mine all the way through. I don't think I could have done it without you. Give her a hand. <laughs> to Ben Joyner, who's been one of Exodus' strongest supporters and most loyal workers. Taking a hand in almost everything we've ever done. He stewarded the group's finances all these years. He built the website. He constantly let me bug him (laughs) to keep changing things and add things. He was constantly responding to people online who couldn't access it for any reason to make sure they could get what they wanted. I wouldn't have done it without you, Ben. Give him a hand. And to Morgan, who came to Exodus as a seminary intern while working on his MDiv and committed to work three full years with us without pay. And he continues this day to be the strongest part of how we're able to do what we did. Uh, Even after becoming a college pastor at New Song, he continued to work and strengthen Exodus. And for five years, he's taken care of all the content every single Wednesday night. And I made special note of that this last Wednesday night, as some of you know. The reason we even had anything to do on Wednesday nights other than just eat and sing was because of Morgan. He's been a constant companion and a loyal friend. And I think what amazes me about Morgan is his obedience and desire to see others grow in their relationship with God. Uh, He has giftedness to seek people out for one-on-one spiritual conversations and he brings that to every discussion. So I think I would say that it's Morgan who's really been the pastor of Exodus. So give Morgan a hand. <laughs> Anthony. I can count on one hand the number of times that Anthony has missed in nine years. And I think it would actually be a finger left maybe. <laughs> During that time, we had the most committed person stewarding our tech and audio And there are thousands of people who listen to Exodus because of the care that Anthony put into capturing everything so well. No one's worked more tirelessly for Exodus, especially after we went mobile and we came to APU. Uh, Anthony does a lot of things you don't see. I mean, everything from the attendance that we're reporting, the sign-up sheets that we do, every special event, all the administration of those things, and constantly asking if there's something else he could take off my plate. Uh, some of you also know that in the last few years he's been a really good friend to Christine, and he's made it not only easier for us to be able to do Exodus and have you in our home and have you here on Sunday nights, but you know she literally thinks he lives and breathes for her. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way we could have done this without Anthony. Give him a hand. And the last one is for Lena. For Lena, for standing with me and letting me do this. Letting me spend hours upon hours in my office reading and researching and preparing for every Sunday night. For allowing me time to spend with others at all hours of the day or evening when there was someone that needed to meet. For being obedient to God and knowing that the gifts that I stewarded had to be put to good use. And that the cost of doing that would be to take up so much time away from her and later from Christine. I think we should thank her because she loved people in the group and for welcoming them all into our home and making them feel that they were part of our family, not just there for a program. All of you know that Lena is very introverted, but she always loved seeing the people in this group at our house. I think we should thank her for listening to others and caring about them in ways that I really couldn't for prompting me to remember what was important about what we were doing in Exodus and sometimes what wasn't so important. For allowing our service to Christ to be the center of our marriage and not a sideshow, not an extracurricular activity. She knew that when she signed up for this that it was going to be all-encompassing. And I really am thankful for tuning out the voices the way she did that said we couldn't do ministry anymore when we had a child. And for raising that child right in the midst of the ministry that God had given to us. I'm thankful that she's always been real with me. Always reasonable. And always affirming. Give Alina a hand. And the most important thanks comes in the communion that we're about to share. Because everything comes from the Lord's hand. It's hard for me to wrap this up. Because I know how good the Lord has been to me. And so in communion, we remember all that he has done. He has given us a group that we can come together and love one another in community. We recognize that in communion. He sent us the Holy Spirit who spoke so loudly in this room. I've learned so much and grown so much from this ministry. And everything we do, we give back to the Lord because it's he that gave it to us. Our tradition in communion has been to come up one by one and to take And light a candle signifying that we are the light of the world. I ask you to do that tonight and as you do to give thanks for what the Lord has done in this group. And remember that this is not done for the people who still can benefit from what we have done. That our legacy of having modeled an interactive forum and left behind almost 300 podcasts doing it is in our hands Consider today how we thank the Lord and continue to steward what he's given us. At the end, we'll take communion together and then continue in worship. So come on up whenever you feel ready. Take the bread. Take the cup. Light a candle signifying that we are the light. On the night that he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and he said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me likewise when supper was over he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to the disciples and says drink from this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant Poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these mighty acts, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ and remembering his offering for us. And we proclaim the mystery of our faith. We are all united in Christ, and because of him, we live. Let's pray together. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. First and foremost, the gift of yourself, where you have invited us to know the triune God by entering into a relationship conceived before the creation of the world that we might have the chance to know you and be in you and be saved for all time. Lord, thank you for this group and what you have done through it. Lord, we thank you for the things we cannot even see and the ways we do not even know. Lord, we trust in your sovereignty that you will work to make this word that we have participated in go forth from here. Thank you for just the opportunity to have partnered with you all these years. The gift you gave us and just the chance to be part of this what you are already doing and will continue to do in the world. That you invested in us just this small talent. Lord, may we have returned it to you many times over so that we would hear good and faithful servants for what we did with your time and your treasure in every moment we spent together. Pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples that he longed to eat this with them and that he would eat it again with them when they were together with him in paradise. All the more that we would also be at the Lord's Supper together again as a group in eternity. To that end, let's have communion together as we wait upon the Lord.